Now we're reading this morning from Second Chronicles chapter 29. I'm going to read the first 11 verses of the chapter. And before anyone asks what happened to Colossians, we're about to start a new section in Colossians dealing with living out the Christian life in the home. A very important topic, no doubt. But for the next couple of Sundays, I want to focus on preparation for our gospel mission. So that's why we're turning today to 2 Chronicles chapter 29. I've prayed about this, I've thought before the Lord, and I believe the Lord has guided us correctly. 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 1. 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 1. Let's hear the word of God. Hezekiah began to reign when he was five and twenty years old. And he reigned nine and twenty years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. And he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them together into the east street and said unto them, Hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. For the fathers have trespassed and done that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord our God, and have forsaken him, and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord, and turned their backs. Also they have shut up the doors of the porch, and put out the lamps, and have not burned incense, nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place unto the God of Israel. Wherefore the wrath of the Lord was upon Judah and Jerusalem, And he hath delivered them to trouble, to astonishment, and to hissing, as ye see with your eyes. For lo, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Now it is in mine heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel, that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. My sons... Be not now negligent, for the Lord hath chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, and that ye should minister unto him and burn incense. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now, my text this morning is taken from 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 10 and 11. Listen to the word of God. Now, it is in mine heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. My sons, be not now negligent, for the Lord hath chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, that ye should minister unto him and burn incense. Now, I've entitled today's message, The Program in God's Work of Reformation. 
And if I was to ask you this morning, what in your opinion is Northern Ireland's greatest need right now? I'm going to answer it. It's a glorious, heaven-sent, sky-blue, sin-defeating, devil-defeating revival of true Bible-believing religion. Northern Ireland desperately needs revival. The whole of the United Kingdom desperately needs revival. Is that not true in England? Our English friends would say yes. Is that not true in Scotland? They would echo a hearty amen. Is that not true in Wales that formerly saw revival? Is that not true here in Northern Ireland? You see, most born-again believers would say a hearty amen to such a statement. And from the pew, they would be shouting, Preach it, brother, for we believe it. We're praying for it. Psalm 85 and verse 6, Wilt thou not revive us again, that we thy people may rejoice in thee? You see, the major cities throughout our land needs revival. That's true of Belfast, our capital city. That's true of Ballymena and the lakes. The minor towns of this wee country, the villages and the hamlets need a mighty move of God. And let me bring it closer home because the town of Duff needs such a move of the Holy Ghost. And all the churches here in Duff need a fresh baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire. And Carrie Duff Free Presbyterian Church is in desperate need of a Holy Ghost revival. We need a great work of reformation. We need spiritual renewal from the hand of God. Now that's true corporately. The whole church needs awakened. The whole church must be affected. Now that is equally true individually. Now let me explain. When true revival happens, it happens because God's Spirit moves on a group of people together or moves on an individual or a group of people in different places all at the same time. And the Holy Ghost brings a new awareness of our transcendent Awesome God. I'll tell you something else. The Holy Ghost brings an awareness of our own sinfulness at the same time. And there's a crying, oh my sin, my sin. And then there's an awareness of the wonderful grace of God revealed in the personal work of Jesus Christ. And this awareness of this transcendent, awesome God and our sin and of the wondrous grace that's found in the personal work of Christ, this awareness results in something. And this is what happens. God's people confess their particular sins. Sin is recognized and repented of. There's a hating of sin. There's a turning from it to God. And this Confession leads to a total consecration of oneself to worship God in the manner he has prescribed, to do the will of God, to walk in the ways of God, to be involved in the work of God, to, to individually walk with God like Enoch. This individual, these individuals will have a burden for souls. And they will labor for the conversion of sinners. 
And I'll tell you, when that happens, the church building is packed. The meeting house, there's not room to stand. And there's a great spirit of evangelism. Coupled with great joy in the Lord. Let me just explain, no individual, no church or corporate body can produce a true revival like I've described. True revival is the sovereign act of God. If we were to go this morning to churches in the United States of America, you might drive past, as I have seen, and you'll see this huge sign outside, Revival next week. Revival next month. I want to tell you, it's not going to happen. It'll only happen unless a sovereign God wills it to happen. You see, from start to finish, it's a great work of God. And oh, that we could rediscover that. However, while that's true, that only a sovereign God can send revival, there's a program of conditions that his people must take. So that if God chooses to come, if God chooses to send the true revival, God's people are ready. God's people are waiting. Now there's a number of important spiritual truths that happened in the days of the godly king Hezekiah. And the program that Hezekiah took ushered in a mighty revival in the land of Judah in his day. And Hezekiah, I would put it to you, is probably one of the greatest kings of Judah. Now think about the subject this morning. The program in God's work of reformation. Here's the first thing. There's a total commitment to the Savior. Look with me at verse 10. Now it is in mine heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel. You see, every true revival comes through a total commitment to and a total coming to the Lord as Savior and Lord. Notice the words, my sons, be not now negligent. The word negligent means slack, putting it off. It, it literally means don't be slack and putting things off and be deceived. See, to understand this truth, you must remember the context here. The context is to grasp the spiritual conditions in Judah at this time. And what was the spiritual conditions in Judah at this time? Hezekiah's father was a very wicked man. He had no time for God, no time for the things of God. He destroyed the land of Judah. He began to introduce idolatrous worship alongside the worship of Jehovah. He ended up ordering the doors of the temple to be shut. He stopped the offering of the blood sacrifice. Instead, he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus. He established centers of idol worship in every Judean town. And because of apostasy from the Lord was flourishing in the land, the Lord stirred up many enemies. The Philistines invaded from the west. The Edomites attacked from the east. The Syrians under Tilgath-Pezer were threatening to invade Judah. The, the Assyrian army was known for its brutality, known for hundring, murdering hundreds of thousands of people, destroying families, enslaving thousands. 
The worship of God was under threat. No prophecy being fulfilled. No promises coming to pass. And here's Hezekiah. He's a young man. He's 25 years of age. How do I know that? Hezekiah began to reign when he was 5 and 20 years old. So you think of him being crowned king at 25. And he gets on the throne. And what's the first thing that he does? What's his number one priority? Here's the answer. Look at verse 3. He, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Do, do you see that? This is the first thing that he does. And what does he say? Look at verse 5. And he said unto them, that's the Levites, Hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry forth the filthiness out of the place. You see, what he does, he calls to the priests to sanctify themselves. He charges them to sanctify the house of God. He charges them to carry out the filthiness out of the house of God. He shares with them what's in his heart. Namely, that he had made a covenant with the Lord God of Israel. And he wanted them to do the same. And he repeats his charge to them, My sons, be not now negligent. For the Lord have chosen you to stand before him to serve him. Now, now think of this this morning. Here's a national crisis. There's apostasy in the land. There's been a forsaking of God. There's been a forgetting of the Lord. Idol worship is everywhere. It abounds. The temple is shut the enemy's at the gate. And what do you do in such a crisis? What is the great pressing need in such a crisis? Here's the answer. And it's turned to the Lord. And that's the answer for Ulster at this time in its history. It's come to him. Totally yielding ourselves afresh and our lives to him. See, Nehemiah is calling the nation and its leaders back to God. And that's my duty and responsibility. To call the leaders of our nation to repent and call them back to God. And call them to live a life of total commitment to him. Where God is central, where God is first. Because remember the Bible says, Matthew 6 and 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things shall be added unto you. You see, in a crisis, what's the most natural human response? It's to focus on the crisis. So here's, here's a land facing a military threat. The enemy's at the gate. Well, what does the kings do? Strengthen the army. Count how many troops we have, how many swords have we got, how many shields, how many chariots, how many horses. Could the sick come out of the hospital and help us here in the army? Maybe in a person's life, they're facing a, a, a medical issue. And what do you do? Well, will you get medical attention? Or maybe you lose your job. You get that news on a Friday from the boss. Well, what do you do? Well, will you have to go out on Monday and seek another job. Or you're facing some sort of trouble financially or, or in marriage. Well, what do you do? Will you focus on how and getting out of the trouble? But here's Hezekiah's example. There's a crisis. He doesn't focus on the crisis. What he does is this. He rams home the pressing need to call the people 
back to a life of total commitment to the Lord. If I put it simply, young people, he was calling the nation of Judah back to the Lord. And we live in dark times. We live in sad days. When people are in despair, God's people are in despair. God's people are depressed. And, and, and I, I get that contact all the time on the phone and, and in emails and in face-to-face chats with people. And, and, and God's people are so depressed that they're paralyzed into doing nothing. And in Northern Ireland, sin abounds. We have abortion and demand now forced upon the land. The Secretary of State is pressing ahead with his RSE program in the schools. Religious liberty has been taken from us now, even the right to protest. The, the whole Christian ethos undergirding our land for centuries, it's been eroded. And the professing Christian church will forget about the liberals and the modernists, for they've already gone into apostasy and religious declension. But I'm concerned about the evangelical, so-called Protestant Reformed Church. And we seem to have so little impact. And the, the case seems hopeless. Let's just go shut the door and forget about it. No, not let's follow Hezekiah's example. Let's turn to the Lord. God can break in. God can send light and truth. God's Holy Spirit can work. Have you total commitment to him this morning? Is that true of you? Can you say, I have come to personal faith in Jesus Christ. He's my Lord and Savior. Have you made a covenant with your heart that you're turning to him, that you're trusting in him, that, that, that you need him above everything else, that you're one of his true sons? See, that's the first thing. There's a total commitment to the Savior. And that's what we need. Are you willing for that? I'll tell you the second thing we need. There's a total cleansing of the sanctuary. Look with me at verse 5. And say unto them, Hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves, and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers, and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. You see, every true revival, every spiritual reformation, starts with the heart of an individual. Did you know that? And it moves outward from the inner heart to the outward life. Think of this call to the Levites. Hear me now, you Levites. Sanctify now yourselves. You see, many of the priests had fallen into sin. Many of the priests were guilty of unfaithfulness. Many of the priests were full of filthiness in their heart and in their life. So they had to deal with their own sin first before they could proceed to the cleansing of the temple. You see, God can't use you and I to impact others to come to Christ unless we are clean ourselves from all sin and defilement. Look at verse 16 of this chapter, which we didn't read. And the priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it and brought out all the uncleanness that they found in the temple of the Lord into the court of the house of the Lord and the Levites took it to carry it out across into the brook Kidron. Now they began in the first day of the first month to sanctify. And on the eighth day of the month came they to the porch of the Lord. So they sanctified the house of the Lord in eight days. And in the sixteenth day of the first month, 
they made an end. Notice where they started. They started in the inner part of the house. And that's a picture of the heart. And notice the scope here. To cleanse it and brought out all the uncleanness. In other words, there was a a thorough cleansing. They, They started at the inner part. Once the opening of the doors of the temple had taken place. And the opening of the doors led to a thorough cleansing. And it took them 16 days to take out all the idols. 16 days to clean the house of God from all the filthiness that was there. The temple was cleansed on the 16th day of the first month. Is there not a a practical lesson there? Hezekiah cleansed the temple through the Levites, literally. Do you know that our bodies are temples of the Holy Ghost? Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It says there in verse 19, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own, you're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You see, in the life of the Christian, there has to be cleansing from all known secret sin. Our bodies that are temple of the Holy Ghost must be pure and clean. You you and I can't be channels of blessing if we're constantly trifling with sin, the hymn writer says. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, we read this. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that names the name of that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared for every good work. If you want to be used of God, if you want to say, Lord, I want to be a vessel of honor, I'm willing to be used, then you must be clean and holy. And I think we have to accept that there's things in all our lives that are not right. Things that ought not to be there. Things that must be dealt with. The hymn writer said, the dearest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, help me to pluck it from my heart and worship. Only search me as a prayer. Every idol, lust, lies, lewdness, all must be dealt with. Because there has to be a total cleansing of the sanctuary. I'll tell you something else thirdly. There's a total commitment to the scriptures. If you go back there to Second uh, Chronicles chapter 29, verse 15, look at these words in verse 15. It says, And they gathered their brethren and sanctified themselves and came according to the commandment of the king by the words of the Lord. Do you read that? By the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. Hezekiah was totally committed to God's word. If you think of this, the doors in the temple were closed for many years. And then the doors are opened. And what happens when doors are opened? The light begins to flood in. If you go to chapter 29, verse 7, it reads, They also, they have shut up the doors of the porch and put out the lamps. You see, the lamps were put out. And when they opened the doors, they lit the lamps. You think of darkness. 
And in the darkness, you're not going to see sin and evil. You're not going to see filthiness. You're going to be deceived. You think all is well. But when the light comes in, the light exposes the darkness. And the light of God's word exposes sin. And the lighting of the lamps is a picture of God's word because God's word is a lamp. Psalm 119 verse 105, thy word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And over there in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, the apostle Paul was able to say this in relation to the word of God. He made a, a, a tremendous statement. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, for the word of God is quick. You know what that means? It's alive. Do you know your Bible's alive when you're reading it? And powerful, because God speaks to you out of the book. And, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And God's word is, stands in total contrast to tradition. It stands in total contrast to the customs of the day. It stands in contrast to the whims and fancies of individual. We now have a day when people are pushing an equality, diversity, identity program. And it's totally contrary to the word of God. And here's Hezekiah. And he's seeing reformation and revival. And part of the program is there's a total commitment to the scriptures. And that's where the church of Jesus Christ needs to come to again. Hezekiah goes back to complete obedience to the word of God. To what the Bible teaches how we're to live. To what the Bible teaches to how we are to believe. He read and understood what the law of Moses taught. What the law of Moses laid down. And he was committed to following it. He gained light and understanding from the word of God. He knew what was clean and unclean. He knew what was proper procedures were. The worship of this transcendent, awesome God and how to approach that God in the ground of the blood. He knew what the offerings were, the burnt offering, the sin offering, the thanksgiving offering. He knew all about the incense and the lighting of the lamps. You see, here's a question. Do you and I have a radical commitment to the word of God? We, we say we're a Bible-believing church. And I've no doubt we say in truth, like the psalmist, oh, how I love thy law. But do we read our Bible every day? Do we meditate on the scriptures? Do we study a portion of God's word for ourselves? So much so that we not only say that we love it, but we learn God's word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against thee. And we live by the book. And we stand to say to the secretary of state, Thus and thus saith the Lord. And we say to the king, and we say to all the parliamentarians, Thus and thus saith the Lord. And do we lean in this book? I'm standing on the promises of God. You see, God's word confronts the way we live. The things that we do. The words that we say. The thoughts that we think. And every true spiritual revival always comes through a renewed interest in the word of God. And I pray for Northern Ireland that its people will not only have a total commitment to the Savior, 
And will not only be a total cleansing of their heart and life, but there'll be a total commitment to the Scriptures. I'll tell you something else. There's a total call to supplication. Notice the words here in verse 11. My son, be not negligent, for the Lord hath chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, that ye should minister unto him, and burn incense. Isn't that tremendous? Part of the offering of sacrifice in the temple was the offering of prayer. And isn't the prayer meeting the most poorly attended meeting of the church? Do you know the the church prayer meeting is an indication of the true church? For what the true church is is knees before God. That's what it is and nothing more, nothing else. And we can do nothing apart from prayer. And that's why last week we gave ourselves to prayer. And that's why I've penciled in these extra prayer meetings in preparation for this gospel mission. Because we can only turn to God and cry unto him, Lord, visit us and help us. I'll tell you something else very quickly here. There's a total consecration to service. In Hezekiah's day, this true revival took place. The temple was cleansed because the doors were open. The light had come in. It was all done according to the scriptures. And the people and the Levites gathered for worship. And they were told to consecrate themselves to serve the Lord. And in the offering of the sacrifices, three sacrifices were offered. One, the sin offering. Look with me at verse 21. 2 Chronicles 29, it says in verse 21, And they brought seven bullocks and seven rams and seven lambs and seven he goats for a sin offering for the kingdom and for the sanctuary and for Judah. And he commanded the priests of the sons of Aaron to offer them on the altar of the Lord. Now the sin offering is a picture of substitution. You see, God is holy. I have been thinking of these words this week. Our transcendent, awesome God. And I have really no idea what that means. God is holy. And God's justice demands penalty for sin. Because the wages of sin is death. And Hebrews 29.22 says, Without the shedding of blood is no remission. And the slaughter of these animals, all of them together... And the sprinkling of their blood is a picture of the perfect sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ once and for all for sin. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down in the right hand of God. Behold the Lamb of God, John said, which taketh away the sin of the world. And the person to be cleansed, you know what they did? They laid their hands on the animal's head. In the sight of the priest, as the priest put the animal to death and shed his blood... And the sins of that individual were transferred to the animal which died in the place of the worshipper. And there's no cleansing for sin until you by faith have put your hand and laid hold on Jesus Christ and identified with his death and the shedding of blood. A worshipper of God. Are you a true worshipper of God because you have faith in Jesus Christ? You can focus on his shed blood. You can focus on the cross. Notice also in verse 27 of the same chapter. And Hezekiah commanded to offer the burnt offering upon the altar. Now the burnt offering was different. Because the burnt offering was a picture of sanctification. Or or separation. This burnt offering 
was offered up wholly and totally to the Lord. The worshiper ate none of it. It spoke of a life of separation and holiness unto the Lord. Now that God's forgiveness had been received in the ground of the blood, this individual, through the burnt offering, was saying, I surrender all to the Lord. It represents total surrender of life. It represents holiness unto the Lord. Remember what Paul says there in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 12 and verse uh, 1 and 2, the apostle Paul says, Now I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now come to verse 31. Same chapter, 2 Chronicles 29, 31. Then Hezekiah answered and said, Now you have consecrated yourselves unto the Lord. Come near and bring sacrifices and thank offerings into the house of God. Here's an offering for submission. A thank offering represented free, willing submission of oneself to the Lord. It was a voluntary offering. It was expressing one's love and gratitude for God's mercy and blessing. The Bible says, be thankful unto him and bless his name. Now here's the question. Are you saved by the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ through faith? And now you're saved, you're sanctified, holy unto the Lord. And daily you're giving a life of dedication and submission to him. A life of devotion, a life of delight. You've got songs in the Lord and you're full of joy and gladness and your heart is in it and it's in the work. All because you love the Lord. See, if you love the Lord, you love his house, you love his day. Like the psalmist, you'll delight in the sanctuary or has your love waxed cold. One final thing and our time is gone. There's a total concern for souls. Here's another part of the program. Just turn over there to 2 Chronicles chapter 30. Verse 1, And Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come into the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel. Think of that. All of Israel. He wasn't the king of all Israel. He was only the king of Judah. But he wrote to them all, his brethren in the northern kingdom, Ephraim and Manasseh, the leading tribes, come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem. Come and keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel. You see, the Passover was a visual representation of the gospel work of the Lord Jesus. You think of the lamb and the night of the Passover being selected, separated, spotless lamb. How the lamb was slain, its blood was sprinkled, and then the lamb was roasted by fire. And, and the people ate in preparation for a long march. And of course, the death angel, when he came, didn't enter into any homes because of the sprinkled blood that was there. And it's a picture of the lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's a call goes out. An invitation to come. All to come to celebrate the Passover. All of Judah, all of Israel. See, Hezekiah had an evangelistic mind. He was concerned for the whole of the country. Let me ask in closing, do we have such a concern and burden from Carry Duff for, for the whole of Northern Ireland? We have this evangelistic mission. Are you a burden for your family? 
Do you plan to get them under the sound of the gospel? Are you going to invite friends? Are you going to go to your neighbor? Are you going to say to the stranger, come, we thought of Amy Carmichael, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. She was willing to go Belfast, Manchester, London, China, although it didn't work out, and then to Japan, eventually to India. See, this gospel mission, do you know what it needs? It needs our total commitment to the Savior. It needs a total cleansing of our heart and lives. It needs a total commitment to the Scriptures. It needs a call to supplication. You've got to pray along with me. There has to be a consecration to serve the Lord. And it's all serve the Lord through the Lord Jesus Christ. In his substitutionary work. In his call to sanctify and holiness. In a willing voluntary heart. Because our hearts are in it. We want to do it. But there must also be a concern for souls. Those that are not with us. Let's go and tell them. Let's call them to come. Because souls are perishing. Hell's awaiting. They're out of Christ. And who has a burden for our fellow countrymen? Here's God's program for his work of reformation. This is but the beginning. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts.